Welcome back to the 2R1 podcast, where we study the Bible together as a married couple. I'm Taylor. I'm Elisa. And we're glad you're back with us. Last time we were together, a few weeks ago, we were in Acts chapter 3. This week, we will be in Acts chapter 4, and the title of the message is, We Can't Help It. Nope. And then <laughs> Ivy Lindsay will join us in the second half of the program to discuss the call to care ministry. Mm-hmm. So sit back, enjoy the ride, and uh, we'll see you in a bit. Acts chapter 4, again, the title of the message is, We Can't Help It. Last time it was, Look at Us, Acts Mm -hmm. chapter 3. And uh, sometimes going through a whole chapter, we have to, you know, we have to kind of get it all in, so we might miss some things, but we hope to get through chapter 4 tonight. So, Elisa? So, when we left off in Acts 3, we saw where um, Peter and John went to the temple and healed the beggar. God healed the beggar through them, the lame man who had been laying his whole life, and now it's kind of caused a little bit of an uproar with the important people. Mm -hmm. So that's where we'll pick up. Acts 4, verse 1, and as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Ananias to the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power, by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the peoples and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, By him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man, the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them, and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go. 
finding no way to punish them, because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Amen. Amen. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity, Father, to have a copy of your word. Uh, We thank you for saving us. We thank you for speaking to us, Lord. You are not a God that just leaves us alone by ourselves, Lord. That is the gospel that you came back to get us, Lord. And your desire is to be known by us, Father, and to lead us and to guide us, Father. You're not uh, just speaking in code in a corner, Lord. Um, You ask anyone who will whosoever will to come, Father, and to follow you. And you've made yourself known through your scriptures and through the gospel, Lord. You you make yourself known through your spirit, and you lead us and guide us, um, and you speak to us through other people as well, Lord. And I just praise you and thank you that you are the God who speaks, Lord. And I pray that you would speak through us tonight. Give uh, Elisa and I revelation as well as anyone who may be listening. Father, take us deeper with you, and we ask you to wash us clean and forgive us of our sins, Father. And... uh, just be with us tonight, be in the midst. Father, allow us to feel your presence, Lord. If if uh, we study, Lord, and you're not near, it's in vain. And I ask you to draw near to us tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So that was a lot of reading, babe. You good? I know, I was about out of breath. <laughs> <laughs> in your defense, you do like read most of the day some days, right? I, I do. I didn't today. I don't have that excuse. So you let other people take parts and read and do different voices and stuff. Have you heard about it? I have heard about it. Yeah, we're reading Shakespeare right now. Yeah, I've heard about it. (laughs) It's a little bit different. (laughs) But there's a lot of biblical allusions I purposely like to point out. (laughs) That's good. That's good. So you mentioned the previous podcast we were talking about uh, Peter and John coming to the temple and healing the man at the gate called Beautiful. So this is an extension of that story. Um, So after Peter and John are telling the people, why are you looking at us? That was the last message. Look at us. You know, mm-hmm. um, Peter and John are saying, why, why are you looking at us as, some, as if some strange thing happened? This Jesus healed them. Well, this is on the tail end of their yeah. speech. And it's not just the people looking at them like, wow, how did they do that? Now we see the other folks that were looking at them. Mm-hmm. So there's always two kinds of people looking at you, those who want to encourage you and those who are, you know, supporting what you're trying to do. And then there's the other kind. Mm-hmm. What do they do? <laughs> They're the haters. <laughs> <laughs> haters going to hate. They're going to hate. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I, they were threatened. It's really not because they don't even know. It's out of ignorance. But I think a lot of times when people hate, it's not personal. It's It's their own thing that they're dealing with. It's not because of you. It's because of them. Yep. And I also think, this is just thinking of something that's happened to me in class. Um, Sometimes the word hater is thrown out when, even when someone's speaking truth. So like, you know, these people that are coming against Peter and James or Peter and John, they're, they're haters, so to speak. But uh, the Pharisees could say the same thing about Peter and John. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Haters going to hate. You know, but like... <laughs> I wish I could have seen your facial expression. <laughs> Just, you know. But the difference is sometimes telling truth does come across as strong and hard to swallow. And, and you can say that it's haters hating. I mean, they're, but, they're about calling them out. They say, you are the ones that crucified him. So yeah. they could be saying that's hateful, but that's just the truth. Yeah. But right off the bat, it, I mean, they're upset. And it says they were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus. And I think a lot of people skip over that first part. They think they're just annoyed because they're saying the name of Jesus. And while that is true, 
they were also upset because they're supposed to be the teachers. Mm-hmm. They didn't want anybody over on, on their territory making them uh, out showing them basically. And in my version, it also mentions um, it says very annoyed that they were teaching the people the doctrine of resurrection mm-hmm. from the dead and offering Jesus as proof. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole you know there's there's multiple groups of people kind of like different denominations that make up the high priest or the uh, Sanhedrin, the council of Jewish leaders. And some of them, I think it's the Sadducees, that do not believe in the resurrection of, mm-hmm. from the dead. So there's multiple reasons of offense here, but it all comes down to being threatened because you'll see later on, there's just some, some obvious truths and facts right in front of them that cannot be denied. Mm-hmm. And so they're annoyed because they're threatened. Um, so... It goes on to say the temple police arrested them. So it's been three weeks since we've done a podcast, so I've had a chance to research several different things. I went back and looked up the origin of the temple police, and I didn't go very deep, but I went deep enough to see that really they were established by King David, and King David you know, um, wanted to... I mean, he didn't build the temple. His son Solomon built the temple. But King David was the one that started organizing different families and different people into certain tasks that were responsible for different parts of, uh, at that time, would have been the, you know, the tabernacle worship. And then that same kind of order and organization moved into uh, the temple. So these temple police, it was like, my father was a temple policeman. Mm-hmm. I was responsible for the North Gate. My father's father was a temple policeman. So there was a lot of honor and family lineage and honor being held in these positions. So all of that started out clean and good when David started it. But on top of being offended or being annoyed and being threatened, also their culture and their family name, to some degree, they see it as being drugged through the mud here. You see Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, oh, well, this is the temple that my father walked in and my grandfather worked in. And we've all watched, watched the, the beautiful gate. And, and this is unacceptable for them to be teaching anything this against the sand. Like, so there's a whole cultural element that's even a family element that's even beyond the cultural element that's getting them riled up and offended. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, it would be the equivalent of somebody going in church and like doing something that you would deem as like completely disruptive. You know, they, somebody going in and blowing a foghorn and everybody getting all riled up. Well, in some churches, that may be awesome and they may accept that. But in some churches, they'd be like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they're doing that. You know what I'm saying? So these temple police, they're, they're keeping their family honor as much as uh, the culture of the day and what they deem to be the right thing in God's eyes, according to his law. So the temple police come upon them very annoyed again. Um arrest them. And it says, mine says, since it was evening, they were put in custody overnight. Mm -hmm. So I'm immediately kind of struck by the idea. It seems like they're going a little easy on them. You know I mean? You think back, they just killed Jesus. So like, do you ever think that sometimes like, like later on they, well, there was times they, they didn't, they think they chose, but it really just wasn't God's time, but they didn't try to get Jesus sooner because of the crowds. You know, they wanted to wait. Mm-hmm. and they. Interestingly, they did it at night, and here they're keeping them overnight instead of trying to do something shady at night. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, there's some compare and contrast. <laughs> and I just feel like they're kind of like, 
they're just uh, it probably is, and they say that later on in in the scriptures that you know because of the people. But it just seems like even the word annoyed is like, oh, here we go again. It's not like where Jesus, they were like even more threatened. They're not mm-hmm. seeing these people. They're seeing these people as a lesser threat at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, so they arrest them overnight. And they're kind of going to, they plan on giving them a slap on the wrist. So I thought this was interesting. It says in verse four, however, many of those who heard the message trusted. The number of men alone was about 5,000. So that's just the amount of males that essentially were saved in the temple courtyard hearing the gospel preached by Peter and John. So 5,000 people profess faith in Christ in the middle of the Jewish temple. You know, you think back to Acts chapter 2 in the, in the, in the house mm-hmm. where there were 3,000 people saved. This is now the largest salvation event so far, even greater than the 3,000 people. You hear that a lot. When the Holy Spirit descended, 3,000 people were saved. Well, mm-hmm. right here, 5,000 mm-hmm. people were saved through in the men. temple. Yeah, through two uneducated common men. Through two uneducated common filled men. filled with the Holy Spirit. They didn't have a show planned. They didn't have, didn't have a band. <laughs> they didn't have a hymnal book. <laughs> sure didn't. They just had the Holy Spirit with them. Probably didn't even have chairs, sandals, mm-hmm. you know, maybe... You know, they left their Fitbits at home. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So they They got their steps in, I'm sure. They got their steps in. Yeah, I'm sure. So just 5,000 men, that's not including the women and the children. Um, So the next day, the people's rulers, elders, and Torah teachers assembled in Jerusalem. So this is the Sanhedrin. And I think this is, Sanhedrin is like the collection of all these different kind of denominations of Jewish leaders. Some of them believed in resurrection, some of them didn't. Some of them believed in the first five books of the Torah. Some of them believed in the, you know, Mm -hmm. just different, same thing we have in the Christian church, different denominations, but they come together for the sake of the country to protect, uh, you know, God's law as much as they have in common in their agreement on God's law. But then it mentions, yours said it interesting, the, the family of the high priest, the high priestly family. Mm-hmm. And doesn't that just sound a little bit shady? Well, there was some shady stuff. If I read right, I don't remember where I read it, but basically Anias had been, he was kind of forcing to, to be resigned and his son took over, but everybody still yeah. treated him like he was. The yeah, the priest. Amplified gives some of that. It says Anias served as high priest and from AD 6 to AD 15. He was removed from the position by Rome, but continued to be extremely influential and was regarded by the Jews as the de facto high priest, even though others, his sons and son-in-law, officially held the office. Mm-hmm. So he was forced into an early retirement for whatever reason, but still was pulling on the strings. Yes, and, and it just goes to show you how this whole family is just, they're like the powerhouse mm-hmm. of, of Israel, and they... It's gone to their head. You know, this is a dynasty, a powerful dynasty that is making all the rules and making all the decisions and and essentially are the ones, this whole family is the ones that had Jesus killed as well. So all this is fresh on their mind. But when I hear that, the priestly family, I just kind of am like, man, I just can see all these shady conversations going on behind the scenes. Like, can you believe this crap? They're doing this in the temple. This is, you know... Like, so you think that still happens? What do you mean? 
I mean, you still think there's families or people or organizations or groups of people that are calling all the shots. and In the Christian church or in Jewish church? In our culture today. Oh, my gosh, yes. Yeah. It, it's just funny how sometimes when we read um, about the early church specifically, how it seems like all these cultures and traditions and customs seem so far-fetched and so long ago and so out of reach from what we do today, but... Somebody, I heard somebody say the other day that the word is eternally contemporary. <laughs> oh, I love that. It is always with the times. Like, it, re- history really is repeating itself. We just have new names for it. Yeah. And we have new gadgets mm-hmm. to add to it. But yeah, there's, there's, that's definitely still goes on. Um, don't get me wrong. I think that you can be in a significant position of, of authority and power within you know, or influence rather within the Christian church and still remain humble and be used by God. But I think it's very, very easy to get corrupted um, and begin to care more about maintaining your image than, than doing the work of the Lord. Um, And I think you can forget where you came from. I think it happens more often than not. Well, I think that's one of the advantages of the church not having as much power, Mm -hmm. you know, as far as our... Right, theocracy is not healthy for the church, for sure. Uh, Jesus never said go and convert the governments. He yeah. never said that. And we, you'll hear a lot of Christian people talk about that, the power of you know, at the ballot box, Christians in the ballot box. Christianity is not about politics. Some people will argue that it is, but if the church would just do the Great Commission, politics would probably be much better, but they would certainly be what God wanted them to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I heard somebody talk about the, uh, you know, the, par- the story of Jesus in the temple when they brought him... You know, they said, "Who should we pay? Ta- should we pay taxes to Caesar? Is that okay?" And Jesus says, "Render unto Caesar what mm-hmm. is his; render under God what is his." And the Im- implied point there is, is that you live within your government and you do what you have to do to, you know, try and live peaceably with all men. But at the end of the day, you should be about the Father's business. And that's what they get to a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> what else would you have us do? What's yeah. the name of this message? What's the title? We can't help. We it. can't help it. We can't it. help it. <laughs> So they bring all name some of the high priestly family. You know, you can just see them in there in their robes, and they bring in these poor, uneducated fishermen that probably, you know, haven't shaved in forever and all that stuff. So they haven't washed their feet since Jesus did it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so they bring them in, and they ask them by what power or in what name did you do this? Then Peter begins to preach to them, and I love where it says. If we are being examined today about a good deed done for a disabled person, if you want to know how he was restored to health, then let it be known to you and all the people of Israel that it was in the name of the Messiah, Jesus from Nazareth, whom you had executed on a stake as a criminal, but whom God has raised from the dead, that this man stands before you perfectly healed. Like, he did not try and shy away from several truths here. Number one, that Jesus is their Messiah. So essentially calling them in error... Um, he is pointing out the blatant hypocrisy of them getting on to him for helping to heal a disabled man. And he's letting them know that you killed your Savior. Mm-hmm. You killed the Redeemer of Israel, the Holy One of Israel. You, mm-hmm. you, high priest, you, high priestly family. He's accusing them of killing a member of the Godhead. I mean, God, God incarnate. So you can't get a stronger accusation from Peter. But notice that before he starts preaching and giving this strong accusation and speaking that hard truth that they probably don't want to hear and probably aren't hearing, really. But 
it says that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And and I think some people get this confused because once you're saved and you're a born-again believer and you've, you've confessed and you proclaim Jesus as your Savior, then you are, you have a permanent feeling of the Holy Spirit. And so, yes, everything you do, he's, he's working in you and will use you if you, if you let him. Mm-hmm. But in this one, and I don't know what the Greek word, but it's a different kind of feeling when it says he was filled with the Spirit. And it's almost like a, a special feeling, a special empowering in that moment, for that moment. You know, so mm-hmm. he can't just go around and start pointing fingers at the wrong time. It's got mm-hmm. to be prompted in that special anointing, in that special time by the Holy Spirit. You know, we got to discern that. And I don't know if we can discern that or just the Holy Spirit just takes over. <laughs> so the Greek word is pleroyo, pleroyo. Yeah, I've done a study on this. To words. make replete, that is to literally to cram a net, level up a hollow, or figuratively to furnish. Uh, execute an office, finish, verify, accomplish. Interesting. So yes, it's it's for a specific appointment, a specific window, a, a mm-hmm. divine moment. And then the other feelings like something, it sounds like permanent. I do remember that when I did that started. Permanento? Like per- permeos or something <laughs> like that. And it means, yes, you have the spirit in you all the time, but there's... There's a difference, and well, we, can't, th- we can't just go around saying, "Oh, I got a spirit in me, so I'm going to tell you like it is." <laughs> well, one of one of the ways that I like that the scriptures refer to the word, at least in English translation of that, would be we're sealed mm-hmm. with the spirit, and that would be more of the okay, it's yeah. you know what I mean. I mm-hmm. like that image of being sealed, like a like a can that hasn't been opened, mm-hmm. nothing gets in or out. Uh, you're sealed. God has sealed you for the day of redemption with the Holy Spirit of promise. But then to be filled is to be almost like supercharged for a moment to be Mm -hmm. used by God. Absolutely. That's a super important point. Um, You know, we need to make sure that our lips are seasoned with God's Spirit and that we're led in that moment. Mm -hmm. You can't just go around calling people out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So he goes on, and then uh, he mentions, he says, this Jesus is the stone Rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by whom we must be saved. So I did a little bit of research on the cornerstone as well. Psalms. You did? Mm-hmm. So he's quote, but he is quoting, what is it, Psalm 118. 118. But something that I heard by chance on the radio in some of these past couple of weeks, Jesus himself refers to that same scripture in the temple before he's crucified in a similar scenario to this in Luke 20. So I just thought that was really interesting. You know, this same scripture has been quoted by Jesus in Luke 20. And then here it is in the same temple, wanting in the same temple courtyard, wanting to arrest little Christ, mm-hmm. little Jesus. That's what a Christian means, a little Christ. You know, Jesus is living in them now. Here we go a second time. They quote the cornerstone scripture. And I just thought that was really interesting that these guys that are about to arrest them have heard this before. They've said, you rejected the cornerstone. Mm-hmm. You rejected the cornerstone. This is the second time they've heard it. You know, often you hear God will confirm things with two or three witnesses. So this is the second time they've been preached this message, and yet they still don't receive it, like you said earlier. But if you go and do some research on the cornerstone, it is cool and weird. 
a lot of cultures have taken this cornerstone thing way, way, way far. Um, one of those groups being the Freemasons, they're super big on this cornerstone stuff. Cornerstone in um, contemporary architecture is more of decorative and um, rit- ritualistic. They'll put the name of the builder and the date and stuff on the cornerstone. But in ancient architecture, it was the stone that set the foundation and the accuracy of the building. Um, so Jesus, what that means, obviously, as by analogy, is that Jesus is the one that everything else is on. He's the foundation. And he's, just, he's telling them that you've rejected the very foundation. Everything that you believe, everything that you are, the fact that you're a priestly family is based on the foundation, which is Jesus, and mm-hmm. you've rejected it. And now uh, you'll be broken over the cornerstone. Like you'll, you will, it's the, it's the stump rock of offense, the stumbling block. There's tons of references in scripture to the cornerstone. I wrote a couple of them down the scriptures to go look at. Isaiah 28 mentions the cornerstone, Zechariah 10, Job 38, they all mention the cornerstone. And it's interesting that Job mentions the cornerstone because that's the oldest, um, the oldest known written book in the Bible. You know, obviously Genesis tells the story of the beginning and is the oldest story, but Job is the oldest known written manuscript book that we ha- that we know of in the new te- or in the uh, in the Bible as a whole. So the cornerstone super important. Mhm. And the fact, I mean if you read 1 8, Psalm 118, it's talking about those uh, political heads and the, the stronger nations were coming in on Israel and coming in um, on those who believed in God. And he was talking about how they rejected God, you know, and the fact that they didn't see the cornerstone. And so by Peter quoting that, it's like saying, hey, this has happened before. You are those people. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you think are, you're Israel yeah. and in the good, but you are the people just like mm-hmm. that came against Israel back then that were non-believers that were, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. enemies of God. So it says, Then when they saw how bold Peter and John were, and untrained and ignorant men, they were amazed. So just to kind of fast forward a little bit here, they're amazed at their boldness because they know that Peter and John know what they did to Jesus the last time Jesus, you know, the last time someone stood up to him like this. So it's amazing to them and that they're seemingly so intelligent in the scriptures. And the Holy Spirit, again, is bringing these scriptures to mind in this cornerstone scripture. It's all confirming. And you can't do that effectively and pierce the heart of someone uh, for God, except the Holy Spirit be driving, you know. And that's mm-hmm. why our pastor, uh, Mickey, says often when, when the word and the Spirit come together, you know, that's when amazing things start happening. But for us as Christians, we have to give the Spirit something to work with. We have to we have to read the Word. We have to receive the Word. We have to, you know, learn it, memorize it, have so that when we are given these divine appointments, God can bring that Scripture to mind. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how many times that that's happened to me when I've been having a conversation with somebody. It's like all of a sudden a piece of scripture comes into my mind. I'm not great at remembering the the book and the chapter and the verse number, but just remembering that scripture. And God says, 
in, uh, in Isaiah that his, his word will never return unto him void, but it will set forth what it will accomplish what it's set forth to accomplish. So many times we put the pressure on us about mm-hmm. witnessing. And I can remember being young in the faith and just trying to write down scriptures and memorize them and, and trying to get in as much as I can. And I can't, I'm just, I'm not good at it <laughs> at yeah. all. You're way better at it than I am. And, and it is amazing that just when you need it, how God will bring it to you. And you know that's not you. That's not your own ability. But because you have read it, you know, mm-hmm. because you have studied it and meditated on it's it. It's there. He can bring it when he needs to. Um, so that's happening. And the fact that Peter is so bold. And we'll see at the very end of the chapter where boldness is a major part of their prayer. Um, so they're amazed by this because it's like, dude, we could kill you right now. Like, really? We have... According to our mosaic laws that we've twisted, we could stone you just about. Like you know, they're they're amazed that they're being this bold. Um, so then they basically ask Peter and John to step out, and they begin to talk about the situation. And basically, they're talking amongst themselves, they're like, "What are we going to do with these guys?" Mm-hmm. And they're they mention something that seems obvious but yet they themselves don't even really receive it. And that is, well, we can't possibly deny what just happened. We can't possibly deny (laughs) that a man was just healed in Jesus' name and that he's been lame for 40 years. And, I mean, we can't possibly deny that, but we have to get him to shut up. Mm -hmm. It's like, wait a minute, don't you want a piece of that? You know? I mean, don't you got some family members that need a touch? I just, it's amazing to me how you can be so trenched in what you think you know and yet when there's an amazing god moment in front of you you can dismiss it because it doesn't fit into the box you've created Mm -hmm. and that's what's happening here i mean they were in the presence probably 60 feet away from a miracle there's no denying it they themselves say there's no denying it all the people saw it and know it and yet it doesn't phase them at all. In fact, it makes them double down on their strategy of stomping out these little Christs, these little Christians, these little, well, they haven't been given the name Christians yet, not until later on in Acts, but these little disciples of Jesus, it makes them hate them more, which is the same thing that was happening when Jesus was here, when, when they saw healings happening. So then they call them back in and, and they threaten them. Mm-hmm. And they say, you can no longer do this. Uh, don't speak in Jesus' name anymore. And then Peter says, you must judge whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God. As for us, we can't help talking about what we have actually seen and heard. They can't help it. They can't help it. And that's where we pulled the name of the uh, message from. That should be us. You know, we should be we should be, you know, having these God moments where these God is bringing up through His Spirit these messages that people need to hear. You know, um, you know, coming alongside somebody and and speaking a word of life to them, letting someone know that you love them, even if um, they have hurt you, or all of these different things um, that minister the gospel and that that show the love of Jesus. We should be to the point where. We can't help it. We're not really even driving at that point. It's just God working through us. And then right now in America, it's not really an issue. 
Um, but there will come a day where we're, where we're threatened, you know, whether we're going to speak the truth, speak the name of Jesus, or whether we're going to sit down and shut up and do what we're told. There will come that day, and it may come for some in America sooner than others, but we have to be prepared to how we're going to answer that question. What, what are we going to say if we're told to shut up and sit down? Will this be our answer? We can't. You judge whether it's right for you, for me, to speak this or not. But as for me, I cannot help but speak what I've seen and heard. Mm-hmm. You know? I can't help but to think about those. All the, the ones in power are, are thinking at this point. You know, like I'm always trying to put myself in all the characters' perspective that are there, that are taking place. And, um, you know, you got the ones in power who are, who just can't see the truth if it slapped them right in their face. But then I, I, I feel like there's some, maybe the sons who have no real authority, they just have the title. Maybe they're listening. <laughs> if you, I read ahead today in Acts 5, and they mentioned one by name, Gamaliel. And that's who taught Paul. And they mentioned in the next chapter, and we'll get to that, where Gamaliel's kind of like, oh, let me, let's reevaluate a little bit. And I, and I think that's because Peter, it, even his word choice here is very uh, um, thought out without him thinking because it's the Holy Spirit. But just the way he says it is the, the wordplay is almost legal jargon on top of that. And he's holding them to a higher standard by yeah. the way he's he's calling it out. He's like, well, that's up to you to decide, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it just, it's like a, a rhetorical... How can you say no to that? Yeah, and yeah. it's just everything that he does is... I mean, we can't forget about those that are actually being the haters, quote-unquote. Like, mm-hmm. they need God, too. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, not just the lame and... Mm-hmm. I mean, you're right. He's phrasing it as classic, just like Jesus said about the coin we talked about earlier. Render unto God what is God's, render unto Caesar's what is Caesar's. Like... It's truth that cannot be denied. I mean, all of these people, whether they believe that Jesus is God, they all agree that we should listen to God and not man, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So Peter is framing it in a way that they can't deny it, yet they, they've they painted it's themselves flesh, in a corner yeah. that mm-hmm. they feel like they have to deny that. So Peter says, we can't help it. And so I pray that that will be me. I pray that that will be you. I pray that will be all of us listening. I mean, we shouldn't... We should be. We should feel compelled to do the work of the Lord. We should feel compelled to speak on behalf of God and to speak forth the truth of God and to love people where they're at. We should feel like we can't help it. And when we're told that to sit down and shut up, our answer should be, you do what you have to do, but as for me, I can't help but speak what I've seen and heard. And this goes even further a little bit down the same path, and that is, it is important to remember what you've seen and heard. You know, when you get in the valley between two peaks, um, you know, in the faith, and you feel like you're kind of in an in-between and you're maybe not as close with God, it's good to remember what you have seen and what you've seen God do in the past and what you've heard Him speak and to remember on those things that you've seen and heard because there will be seasons of dryness between the rains Mm -hmm. where God is preparing you. Maybe you're in a season of preparation and to not get discouraged and to remember what you've seen and what you've heard. And when we get an opportunity to tell our story of what we've seen and heard, that's second only in power to the gospel itself. You know, the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. 
second in line in power is my story. It's your story. You know, I think it's Revelation 12, 11 says that they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. So the gospel being first, my story, your story, our testimony being second, and our willingness to lose it all for Christ. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, displayed all three of those things right here in this scenario. So they tell them that, and then it goes on and mentions something that you've said. It says they threatened them more and finally let them go. Uh, and because of the people, it says they couldn't punish them because of the people, for everyone was praising God over what had happened. And they were afraid. And they were afraid. But can I just say this right here? This is not a popular opinion. And I know that politicians have to do this, but it drives me nuts to hear politicians say, or just the fact that politicians do things because this is what their constituents or the majority of the people want. I, as a Christian, I don't want a politician that listens to the majority. I'm sorry, I don't. I want a politician that does the right thing. Because our country is slowly descending down the hill of morality. And what we call right and wrong today, that definition is evolving and will change over time. So it drives me nuts that politicians do what is popular. I mean, maybe in the Renaissance period of the church in America, that was okay. But now popular, what is good is called evil and evil is called good. So politicians, if they're doing what the majority of people want, that to me is not leadership. Leadership is doing what's right regardless of what people say. Well, the problem is... Not everybody agrees on what's right, but as Christians, we have a standard. That's the Bible. So I just would like to say that. These politicians, these you don't agree with that? I, it seems like an impossible situation. I mean, how are they going to get into office without doing what their voters want them to do? That's what the people that put them there, they I, do kind of If I were to, running for office... I have no doubt. <laughs> if I were you probably run, wouldn't get voted back in. <laughs> if I were running for office, I'd let them know, heads up. Hey, I used to be a pretty crappy sinner. I'm saved now. I'm trying to do what the Lord says. And I care what you think, but I care more about what God says. And I'm going to do what's right regardless of what the but popular But then you cross is. in the line of, of, I mean, you just said that we shouldn't as Christians worry about politics. No, I'm just saying there's got to be leadership, right. period. So whether it's leadership in politics, I just think politics are the worst offenders of it. But I think leadership at all levels, whether you're the leadership of an organization, a school, uh, politics, a church. I I despise leading based on popular opinion. I do well, not agree with that. Leaders aren't going to get it right every time. No, but if they're basing their decisions based on the discernment and the Spirit of God by reading His Word, they'll get it right more than popular vote, I can promise you. I agree. So, so I you think are saying Christians should go into office and, and vote based on... No, I'm just trying to define what you've said. Uh, I mean, there's there's no way to live without politics affecting you in some way. And if you feel led and called, and you think God's calling you to be in politics, I then heard you do were it. running for mayor. Well, there was a misprint in the paper, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm a little a little upset about because I don't want no phone calls. You know what I'm saying? I try I to. Think I think most people understand. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, if you're called to do that. Do it, but don't do any kind of decision-making or leadership based on popular opinion, period. Like, it's, w when's the last time you heard that? Mm -hmm. I don't care what most of y'all want. 
What I care about is what God wants, and that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. I believe that a leader like that I would, vote would be for blessed. That person. Absolutely. If you're a Christian and you wouldn't vote for that person, then you're, I don't know, you need to not vote. <laughs> but the Pharisees said that they were doing what God wanted too. Right. But I'm just saying, even then, I think that's better than the popular opinion. If you, now. Well, even then, um, I mean, even then the people... mentality, no matter what. It's whatever's trending. (laughs) Yeah, but I just think if you're you're trying to honor Jesus with your decisions and you... I I think that if you're truly a Christian, you're trying to honor Jesus, I think that's going to get it right more often than a popular decision. Like, I just don't like the idea of doing what's popular because I'm telling you, people are are getting more and more loose with what the definition of right mm-hmm. is. So, I mean, you cannot base what's right based on what's the majority. You just can't. It just is never going to work. Um, so anyway, that's a little bit of a tangent, but I had to say that. And I know people <laughs> don't like that, but it's just true. That I it's want a somebody bold statement. Like that. It is. It, it sounds contradictory at, at, on the surface. You know, it sounds like, whoa, you don't want anybody making all the decisions for the people. You know, you want them to have a voice, but it is scary, the voice that we hear now. Yeah. Well, that's what happens when you let carnal minds lead Mm -hmm. and you let carnal minds make decisions and you let mob mentality make the choices. I mean, look at history. How's that worked out? Not well. Even the Catholic Church, they didn't do what was right by God's standards. They did what was popular among the people and they did things based on power many times and, and throughout the dark history of the Catholic Church. So... Um, he goes on, he mentions something here. It says the 40 years old. You mentioned that last time. 40 years old. Yeah. I mean, he, it was no secret that this guy could not walk. He was crippled. No secret whatsoever. And it wasn't like, oh, you know, a couple of years ago, he suddenly got a bad knee. Yeah. <laughs> it was his whole life. And now all of a sudden he was like leaping. Yeah, and it's not like he was a little kid that could have like gotten vibrant. Mm-hmm. All this. I mean, he was, yeah. It just adds to the mirac- miraculous nature of, of what happened. Um, so then the chapter closes. Them threatening them more. Well, he let, they let them, let they them let go. They let them go, but not without several threats to kind of shake them up a little bit. And I'm sure they were. I mean, can you imagine Mm -hmm. that because of everything you've mentioned, they'd already seen what they did to Jesus and they knew that they were threatening them. But um, so what did they do? They didn't just run back and just talk to everybody about it and say, well, we could do this and we can do this. How many times do we just try to uh, have over analysis of our situation and then we've got more worry than we started with? Mm -hmm. They went back and said, hey, we got to pray. We got to pray. That's how the, the... Really, the chapter, the 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 climax of the chapter, um, in my opinion. So it says they went back and they prayed. I want to read this prayer out loud. So we need to read. Let's just read the rest of the chapter and then we'll close it out. You want to? Okay. So you want to read us the rest of the chapter? Was it twenty two through the end? Uh, sure. Okay. Uh, twenty three. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, 
Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So, a couple quick things here. Um, like you said, they went and prayed, which is, should be our response um, to react in the spiritual and not in the flesh, to, to, to admit that we are insufficient to ask God to intervene. Yeah, they didn't get caught up on all the the laws that they technically broke by trying to threaten them. I mm-hmm. mean, really, they hadn't done anything legally wrong. Mm-hmm. And and they knew that, you know, and and they could have been like, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to lawyer up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, he didn't. <laughs> so, no, they just prayed <laughs> instead of focusing on what the wrong was done unto them. They said, we know it's wrong, Lord, but help us go anyways. Mm-hmm. Help us do your will anyways. And so I, I want to break down this prayer. So they start off, Master, you made heaven. So they start out in a form of worship and and acknowledging and speaking out loud the power and sovereignty of God. They 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 started out with that. That's the beginning of their prayer is, saying, God, you made everything. You are the king. You are the Lord God Almighty. You are the king of the universe. You control all things. And then they move into Scripture that has been confirmed. So again, God's sovereignty for speaking and prophesying these events. Just reinforcing the idea that God, this is real. This is not in our imagination. This really happened David spoke this in the scriptures. This has come to pass this day in this city. Um, he mentions all the people gathered against the Lord and His Messiah, the way mine words it. So starting off, just giving God the credit that He's doing, remembering, hey, he's, He is the Lord God Almighty. You, do, you have done all things, and you said that this was going to happen. So just reestablishing... Um, the fact that God is that amazing. That's how the prayer starts. So that that I'm just kind of taking this as a pattern of prayer here. All right. And then they move into this part. So now, acknowledging who you are, God, the fact that I can even pray to you is crazy, but acknowledging that you are this God, the one who made all things, the one who spoke this, that it was going to happen before it happened, that God, knowing all those things. So now, Lord, take note of their threats, and enable, mine says, enable your slaves to speak your message with boldness. Just those two things contrasted, asking the king of the universe, who knows all things in advance, to enable little old me to speak with boldness. I just love that prayer. I think it's a model prayer that we can all take notes from. Um, they ask to speak with boldness. And then it says, stretch out your hand to heal and to do signs and miracles through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 
So they, they subscribe to God what He is. Then they ask God to enable them to speak boldly and do signs and miracles so that the name of Jesus will be seen and heard and people will be saved. That is should be the beginning and reason for every prayer we ever pray. Mm-hmm. We should not be asking for anything that is not in some way somehow connected to the advancement of the gospel in the lives of the people around us and the lives of the people around the world. Everything should be mission gospel-centered, and I love that, and I believe that that is why God honored this prayer. Because, like you said, Elisa, after being threatened for their life, their concern was not, oh, Lord, God, protect me from getting killed. Their, Their prayer was, Lord, that's an understood thing. God knows that we want that. And it's okay to pray that because sometimes they, you know, many prayers that's prayed, especially in the Old Testament, Lord, your provision, your protection, your guidance. But in this moment, my primary focus is the advancement of your will, Lord, and the salvation of the people that don't know you and that are going to die eternally separated from you. When, when you pray a prayer of desperation for the salvation of the souls of the people in your lives, that gets God's attention because that is God's primary motivation. That's why Jesus came. So right there, that kind of prayer is praying in line with the heart of God. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that I do that all the time, but I think this is a great model prayer for us to take. So it says, while they were praying this, the ground shook. They were the ground yeah, this where they isn't were gathered like was shaking. A, a symbolism for anything. I believe the ground literally shook. Literally <laughs> shook. Literally. <laughs> I do too. I almost titled it "Shaken," but yeah. I couldn't find a good image for that. I mean, that's just you know they were shaken mm-hmm. figuratively, absolutely. absolutely, and then they come together in one mind. You know, they're all praying for the same thing. And I I think that's what we're lacking sometimes. And that's why the ground doesn't shake when we pray more, because of those two things. We're not praying in one mind and we're not praying for the advancement of the kingdom and of Jesus' name to exalt his name. Many times it's selfish motivation. And I'm so guilty of it. Me too. Absolutely. Um, So So I I want the ground to shake. Me too. Praying for an earthquake, yeah. <laughs> Hashtag Blair Joyner. Oh, yeah. Just prayed that prayer. For, it's coming. Yep. It's already started shaking. Uh, so it says that um, they were all filled with the Spirit, and they spoke God's message with boldness. Um, then this really, the last part of this, is going to carry into the next mm-hmm. chapter. But basically... Um, says many believers were all, all the many believers were in one heart and soul, and no one claimed any of his possessions for himself, but everyone shared everything he had. With great power, the emissaries continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and they were all held in high regard. No one among them was poor, since those who owned lands or houses sold them and turned over the proceeds to the emissaries or disciples or um, apostles to distribute to each according to his need. Uh, thus, Barnabas, which means the exhorter, a Levi and a native of Cyprus, sold a field which belonged to him and brought the money to the apostles. So here's what I want us to do. I want to give some homework. I just want everyone to think on these last verses right here for the next week or the next time we get together. And I want you to think about that image, about what they did. And then I want you to think about the image you and I know as church now. And I want you to think on that. 
And then we're going to pick up with that, basically the unity that they had here and how that goes into chapter five when we come back uh, the next time we're together. Is that cool with you, Lisa? Yeah. Yeah. What? <laughs> uh, nothing. <laughs> I mean, just a little homework. That's all right, right? Yeah. It's a bad word. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, just a little bit of something to chew on and think on until uh, the next time we're together. So stay tuned. We are going to uh, go to our interview, previously recorded interview with Miss um, Ivy Lindsay from Call to Care Ministries. She's coming up after the break to tell us about that ministry. So see you guys after the break. Welcome back. We have our guest today with us in the studio, Miss Ivy Lindsay. She is the co-director of Called to Care for Berrien County, and she joins us in the studio. Thank you for coming, Ivy. You're welcome. Thank you guys for having me on. Hey, Ivy. Hi. I am super excited. This I have heard you talk about this before, and it is apparent anytime you talk about it how passionate you are. So I'm just going to read the mission statement for Called to Care, and then you can tell us kind of in a nutshell, you know, the big things that you guys do. Um, The mission says, the mission of Called to Care is to ease the suffering of vulnerable children domestically and abroad by engaging and equipping the body of Christ in our community to minister through adoption, foster care, and missions. Called to Care's efforts are focused on creating a community of believers who work together to fill the physical, emotional, and social needs of children who are hurting and to help lessen the burden of those who are in direct care of those children. That's right. So Call to Care was started in Tifton a few years ago by a bunch of ladies that were just starting out in their church and they saw a need and they were like, oh, well, we need to do something. And um, in just five years, I believe we have gotten to now, we have a Call to Care in every county in our region. And um, we just kicked off in June our burying called to care chapter. And so far we've been able to do a few things. We've redone the visitation room at DFAX. We've been able to meet some physical needs, but most importantly, we have been able to unite the churches of Berrien mm-hmm. County to come together and start ministering to some families. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, that's our goal is to get people into the kingdom. It's great that we can meet a physical need, but more importantly, we want to meet those spiritual needs for these families. Yeah, y'all have actually done a lot since June. I didn't realize it was only since June. Yeah, we've seen some of those pictures and you know, there's just so many little needs. The the obvious need is there for sure, but all those little needs make a big difference when you're talking about the the whole picture. Like um a couple of rooms y'all did, right? Yeah, we did. Um, we actually, this was, one of the rooms was requested by the region director from DFAX, and that was that every DFAX in the county that had a call to care chapter or have a relaxation room. And what we did was we repainted, we put in a diffuser, some lounge chairs, and some devotionals. But um, we also got the one of the local pastors to volunteer to be on call 24-7 wow. anytime those workers, caseworkers needed a you know, a prayer, just a word mm-hmm. of counsel or some advice. Because they see some of the most hardest situations. They do. And it's a very thankless job. Um, yeah. I mean, that is one of the jobs that if you do everything right and you just totally nail it, somebody's still going to be mad if you take their kids. Mm-hmm. You know, you're still wow. going to get some backlash from that from someone. And so it's very thankless. And 
We, we appreciate everything they do. Um, one of the things we've tried to do up there is love on caseworkers as well. Mm-hmm. So we get a church to sign up for a month. And just because um, that's one of our goals from Called to Care is to have every defects worker hear the gospel. Mm-hmm. So we, that's just a good opportunity for churches to be able to share some scripture, to share devotion at their staff meeting, provide some breakfast, some mm-hmm. snacks, things like that. But it's, it's a great opportunity. And so far, the ones here in Berrien County has has already been very receptive to that, which is encouraging. They have. have. We have Cheryl is our director up there, and she's awesome. She pretty much, you know, welcomed us in with open arms, and it's We've been very blessed with that because it's not often that you get a state mm-hmm. organization that welcomes in the faith community mm-hmm. and it's like, here you go. And yeah. so we, we are very appreciative of and that. And that's who's ultimately taking care of these kids in in the in-between. Yeah. And so that's very encouraging to know that that's where their heart is also. It is. It is. And um, the other room we did... The taking care of kids in between mm-hmm. t- ties into that. We redid the visitation room, and it was very cold. It kind of felt like a doctor's office. There was just some black chairs and, um, you know, just kind of a few a few toys. But that's where families come together, and they try and rebuild these broken relationships mm-hmm. and build up trust. So we really wanted it to feel like you were sitting in your living room. Mm-hmm. And um, we were able to get, through donations from the local community and the local churches, we were able to repaint um, actually, Disciple Now, the kids came mm-hmm. in and repainted the room. So that was an awesome project for that. And um, it, it looks great up there now. We're really excited about that. The kids and the families are excited about it. That's awesome because the kids can use that while they're waiting. Yeah, too. yeah, like, because I think what a lot of people don't realize is that um, if a kid for some reason is pulled and it's during the summertime and they don't have placement, they spend all day in their caseworker's office. And then the state actually pays um, somebody to come in and stay with them in a hotel room at night. So mm-hmm. they're in a hotel room with nothing to do at night. And mm-hmm. then they're up in the caseworker's office, bouncing from office to office. Mm-hmm. You know, the caseworkers aren't getting a lot done. The kids are bored. So we put um, a DVD player and a TV. Mm-hmm. And we're hoping to eventually start a teen room where we can put a Wii and some other things mm-hmm. like that That's for the awesome. older kids. I got a couple of things. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've kind of had a serious day, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take us into a serious direction here. And I noticed, first of all, the website name. It's not called to care. Mm-hmm. It's I am called to care. That's right. Mm-hmm. And that struck me. Mm-hmm. So then that brings us to the verse. You mm-hmm. said that that was kind of like, what did you call that? Your... That's kind of our, our motto, more or less. That's the verse that we've adopted. And so this is James one twenty seven. It says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So that's not just, that's not a suggestion from God. <laughs> no. that, that is true and undefiled religion. It is, it is, and that's um, one of the things that people come to us and they they think that, you know, they say, oh, I don't know if I can do this, I don't know if I'm called to do this, and because we're called to care, and I'm like, well, you know, it's a little more than being called, we're actually commanded several <laughs> times in the Bible that this but, is what we're supposed to yeah. do, and you know, one of the things that struck me about that verse is it says, in their distress, and that, that yeah, and I think that's all about, you know, meeting the kids mm-hmm. where they're at, and um 
you know, in the trauma and they may be lashing out or they may be doing things different that may come off as difficult. Actually, um, 25% of former former foster children were diagnosed with PTSD and that's twice the rate of war veterans. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you realize that and you realize that the verse says to meet the kids in their distress, Mm -hmm. I think that's the most powerful part of it. That is. I just kind of read right over that. Mm -hmm. Um, Something else. We, we have been blessed to have an opportunity to, uh, a year, a couple years ago, to really get close with someone who's been through the foster care system, and, and, and really, they're essentially our family now. Um, he is. He is. He is. But, Avi, could you just, I don't know that everybody realizes what goes on, and I didn't realize what goes on, but could you just maybe walk us through a somewhat of a typical scenario for maybe one of these kids that goes through that like you mentioned the traumatic event and their distress like you're 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 a kid you're going to school you come home and then all of a sudden in the middle of the night like what could you just kind of paint a little bit of a picture for the people listening because some people may be like oh they're just in foster care they don't understand yeah no um and actually you know it it can be kind of a dirty situation a lot of times the defects caseworkers will bring law enforcement out with them if they think that it may possibly get Mm -hmm. um, to be an unsafe situation or even just you know a verbally abusive Mm -hmm. situation Um, but a lot of times these kids are it may be in the middle of the night when they're taken it might be that they come and they pick them up when they're getting off the bus from school or some situation like that and you know, um, we do the journey bag ministry, so that is where we provide a journey bag, and it's got a Bible. It has some basic necessities, a mm-hmm. few things like that. We also do it with diaper bags. But um, what people don't realize is that most of the time these kids come, and a defects worker picks them up, and the parents don't let them mm-hmm. take anything. There was a need that one of our sister mm-hmm. counties posted today. The kid... Um, he was actually picked up, and his caregivers refused to let him mm-hmm. take any stuffed animals, any clothes. Yeah, he came right. with the cl- the he was wearing a t shirt. I just I really want people to realize the distress part and the trauma part of it. This is this is not just um, speeding ticket you go to court for. This is this is kids' lives that impacts them for the rest of their life. Yeah, it does. And you know, I mean, this may be something that we can get into today or not, but the CDC did an ACEs study, which is Adverse Childhood Experiences, and it report it significant, it was the first study to ever show that these adverse childhood experiences tie directly into mental health, mm-hmm. substance abuse. I mean, most people probably that have worked with kids like that see it and mm-hmm. see the pattern, but it directly proved that your chance of heart risk, um, you know, mm-hmm. cardiovascular effects mm-hmm. were affected by it, and that's just the... and. I, there was some there was some young people having a conversation along mm-hmm. this line around me the other day, and granted they're they're young people they're in their mid teens and late teens, but there really is a mentality out there that um, you don't have an excuse. Pick yourself up, and I'm I think there's a fine line between making an excuse about the mistakes that you make in your life. But these are formative years. These are these are traumatic events. You mentioned post traumatic stress. I yeah. mean, this is a similar condition, the same condition that you get from being in war. Exactly. And and anybody that's that's unfamiliar with post traumatic stress, it, it literally paralyzes you and it takes you back to that moment and that emotion. And it it's many times you can't control it. Yeah, it's it's debilitating. I mean, it it's is it is a disability. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, people are on disability for that 
all the time. And I think that, like you said, there is a fine line. But when these are your formative years mm-hmm. and with the CDC study that has been able to show that adverse childhood experiences affect you, mm-hmm. you know, so deeply that I, I think there's something to be said for that. Absolutely. And I think there's Absolutely. something for and that's. Um, you know, that's where I think we as the Christian community and as yep. the capital C church come in. Mm-hmm. And that's when we're needing to meet these orphans in their distress. Mm-hmm. We Absolutely. need to step up and just love on them. Show them right. God's love. That's what the faith of Christianity yes. is all about. And, and physical needs is a part of that. But the larger part of that is the emotional and social and the the mentoring like mm-hmm. we were talking about earlier. That is just this crucial. It, it is. is crucial. But some of these other statistics, I'll just read a couple, and we'll link them on there. It says um, 28% of youth in foster care at the age of 19 has had children in the past two years. Um, 25%, oh, you already read that one, sorry. 40% of youth in foster care that are 21 years old have experienced homelessness in the past two years. And then 60% of the children who are awaiting adoption have had parental rights for all of their living parents terminated. But the most astounding statistic by far to me was that if every Christian in the world, every self-proclaimed Christian in the world just took in one orphan, there would be no more orphans. Yeah, we would essentially cut it out. And, um, you know, that's kind of, we're going to go back to what we talked about earlier. Um, Called to care, it's called called to care. And a lot of people, when they first hear us, they say, oh, we think that, you know, we don't, like I said, don't know if we're called to do this, but everybody is called to do something. And um, one of the stories, I'm going to kind of summarize it, So, um, but that our founder tells is there was a boy and he, um, and kind of how it takes everybody to do something. But so he was in care and Tift County did a day where they allowed um the guys, we, we, we try and do a day for our teens um, where we can take them out and do a day of shopping. So this um, particular day, one of the kids was, we, we took them to Hibbets and some of the churches had donated money so that they could spend $100 in Hibbets. And mm-hmm. then we also had several guys from several different churches that came out and went with the boys, kind of mm-hmm. forming that relationship, forming mm-hmm. a mentorship um, that took them shopping. And so this boy, he went into Hibbets and he was, um, he was getting some shoes for wrestling and, um, they were a little bit more than the hundred dollars, but his mentor for that day stepped in and he filled the gap and he paid for the shoes. So the guy goes on to, um, make the wrestling team and he made the wrestling team, but he became best friends with one of the other guys on the wrestling team. And they just kind of did, you know, how you guys said they, he started, hanging out at their house, and then mm-hmm. eventually was adopted by that family. And it was a great story. He did get adopted. But the thing to realize in that is that it took everybody. It took somebody mm-hmm. donating $5 to the church, and right. it mm-hmm. took the church donating that their funds. And then it took somebody stepping up and saying, well, hey, I've got a free afternoon. I'll go, and mm-hmm. I'll mm-hmm. go to Hibbets with these guys. Mm-hmm. And then it took somebody else that you know is yeah. behind the scenes coordinating all this, making it happen. It took a great coach. It took somebody the family stepping up to form a relationship yeah. with this child and then eventually getting them adopted. So that is the idea behind called to care is you, you may not be called right now to um, mm-hmm. adopt a child into your home, but if everybody will step up and do something, we can at least make a, a massive dent mm-hmm. in the, in the amount of orphans. Yeah. I love Absolutely. that picture because that just shows how God is, is 
just stringing it all together. Oh, yeah, you know, We'll just do our little part that he's put right in front of us at that moment. Absolutely. What is the best way if somebody hears this and they want to get involved, what, what are you, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, well, I, you can always visit our website, IamCalledToCare.com, um, or you can, each one of our chapters has a Facebook page. You can reach out and do that. Um, but we have several things going on now. If you don't, if you're in a church and your church doesn't have a representative that didn't, um, that is not partnered with us, there's several churches in the community that say, oh, we'd love to be involved, but we just need somebody to step up and to step in this role of basically getting information from called to care Mm -hmm. to the church. A liaison. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we need that. And that's essentially what called to care is because we get the need from defects and Mm -hmm. then we send it, we've got a, a leadership board that is people from several different churches in the community. And then we kind of send that out to them and say, Hey, can, can anybody help do this? But in the, you know, like we said, we like to meet the physical need, but at the same time, if we've got a bunk bed that needs to be delivered, it's not, Ivy's going to go deliver the bunk bed. We want the church to go mm-hmm. deliver the bunk bed and pray with the family, mm-hmm. invite them to your mm-hmm. services, take them, you know, then follow up with a meal in a few weeks mm-hmm. and just really start to form those relationships because we want every family to have a support group. If There's actually a statistic. I don't think I included it with the ones that I sent to y'all, but that of the families that quit fostering after the first year, 90% cite lack of support is the reason. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't ever want that to be... The reason, you know, it says in the Bible that um, God places the lonely in families. And that's, I think, what's so broken about our foster system is God didn't design the government to raise children. God designed families to raise children. And the church, you know, I mean, that's going to require us stepping up and and Mm -hmm. filling in the gap. Mm -hmm. I I think, and and we may want to cut this out, but I'm going to go here. I think (laughs) when people hear this topic, sometimes people that are, conservatively politically leaning, they tend to think of this as a liberal subject. But if you're thinking liberal conservative, you're already thinking in the wrong vein. This is the the government was never designed or built to be able to handle this and especially to do it well. Mm-hmm. I mean they're making their best attempt but this is a job for the church. This is a job for the church. This is this is uh, this is what God has given to us. This mm-hmm. need is to be handled by the church, and the reason why it's been uh, shot away from a lot of times is because it's looked at politically. But this has nothing to do with politics. This is the job for the church. Amen. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> I agree for sure. And I think that you know, to me, that that's part of the discipleship. That's part of the taking up your cross mm-hmm. and following mm-hmm. Jesus. Is it's going to be hard. I mean, nobody said that you know, that following Jesus was going to be easy, but it's always going to be worth it. Right. You know, so. Absolutely. There's just so much. We could talk about this for so long. And there's just more statistics. So the only thing I know to do is is link it in. We'll put Ivy's contact info, put the website, and um, anything, any questions you have, just let us know. We'll get answers. Yeah, Yeah, that's perfect. Thank you for coming and talking to us. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, So if every Christian adopted one foster child or adopted one fatherless kid, one orphan, one orphan, there would be no more orphans. That's right. How do we respond to that? Mm-hmm.
How do we? It's one of those those statistics that was just mind blowing and and what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. It's convicting. Yeah. I mean, it really is. It should be. It should be. I mean, just like their call to care's major verse, their um, I guess their ministry verse is that is true religion is caring for widows and orphans. Mm-hmm. And um, well, the problem like is, is that's really true relationship. And I imagine a lot of those numbers of Christians, and I'm not, I, I don't want to point fingers, but I think that's probably an inaccurate number of self-proclaimed Christians that are just following religion mm-hmm. as we know it today instead of the relationship, because mm-hmm. then I think it would be better. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where hopefully we're seeing our church move to. And you're seeing these ministries um, pop up everywhere. And what what this is called to care is because a group of real Christians with a relationship have seen the problem and where the church is lacking, you know, and mm-hmm. and it's really encouraging. And so I think we can leave this as as sad as it is in a lot of ways. It's encouraging. Absolutely. And Ivy also mentioned several things that they're going to be doing soon. Um, Christmas. Caroling for, mm-hmm. caroling for something. <laughs> I don't remember they're they're caroling, mm-hmm. and um, so we'll link that. She gets sent us a flyer on that, so we'll put that on the website, and just to kind of raise awareness. You mm-hmm. know, there's a lot of needs, so you don't have to go adopt anyone right away to be a part of it. And again, get involved if you feel led. If you're listening to this and you feel led, just go to the website, figure out a way to get involved. God will work it out. Uh, you'd be amazed what sending an email will start a chain reaction of, mm-hmm. you know. So if you guys have any questions or comments or concerns, uh, you'd like to reach out to us, questions at 2r1.org. Thank you again to Ivy Lindsay for joining us. And uh, we pray that Called to Care is a very effective ministry and ministers to those children uh, in the foster care system. Um, and I pray that you guys have a safe week, and we will see you next time we're together. Lord Amen. Willing. God bless. Thank you.